Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you'll let me know when I'm getting to five minutes. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name's Ethel, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm a grateful, grateful, grateful alcoholic. And um, the, the uh, paragraph or the sentence that I chose out of the book to uh, as my as one of my favorite sayings, because actually the whole chapter, um, really chapter two, there is a solution. That that's my favorite chapter. But the the sentence I took was the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. And I wanted to kind of look at that because my coming into AA was not to discover anything. My coming in was to get away from the misery, the trouble, the shame, the guilt, and all the crap that was infesting my life. And I knew that drinking had something to do with it, but I really didn't think that drinking had that much to do with it. And I thought maybe, I thought maybe if I could look at a way to get away from the trouble and get out of the misery, then I could go back to drinking like everybody else. And of course, when I started, I was young. I, I mean, I was really young, but I wasn't able to really drink, drink. Uh, I was like more or less sneaking drinks. But by the time I got to high school, when I got to high school, I looked forward to the weekends because weekends were, uh, you could find a party or if you didn't have a party, then maybe you could go out on a date with somebody and you could go to a club, and if you went to a club, you could get, uh, you know, you could sit and drink and listen to good music, and you know, to me, that was living, that that was life. And I don't know, uh, I knew you couldn't make a living out of doing that, but, uh, and I did have some ambition, I guess. I did want to be a teacher, and. My parent, my mother, you know, and my grandmother, they wanted me to go to school and finish and go on to, to uh, college and all that. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to do that. But, you know, I have to say that, you know, I was into music and I guess I kind of harbored the thought that maybe if I could make it in, in, in uh, you know, as a singer, then I wouldn't have to, you know, do all the school stuff. And um, so when I came out of high school, um, when I finished high school, it's funny. I, I really was into church. You know, I sang in church. That was where I started singing in church. And so, but to me, the thing about church was it was religion. And so religion, I thought was kind of important, but I had no 
you know, desire to grow or to, to think about spiritual progress, any of that, I, I was not in, I, that was not where I was, where my head was. Actually, the more I drank, uh, I needn't tell you that the more insane I got, and that, which is what caused the misery that came along with it. But it was not um, the kind of life that ultimately I was really looking for. And uh, when I started working, I did get an agent and uh, he was supposed to be helping me get some jobs to sing. And of course, guess where? I was gonna sing in bars. <laughs> That's like putting the fox in the hen house. So there I was. I went to a couple of clubs and and I would sing. And of course, as a beginning singer, and since I, you know, was not uh, a name or anything like that, and nobody knew who I was, well, I agreed that, you know, well, if they could just, um, you know, I would just be uh, content to sit around in between sets and whatnot and, and have a few drinks. But actually, I didn't quit my day job. <laughs> I stayed with that. So um, this just was something that I was trying to do uh, on weekends and, and after work because my job was really Monday to Friday, nine to five. And um, that, well, nine, when I say nine to five, that was if I didn't have a hangover, if I wasn't too sick, and if I really felt like getting up and going to work after staying up most of the night drinking. So, um, of course, uh, the interesting thing was that my job um, didn't really require a whole lot of me. And so I guess you might say uh, people didn't get too uptight, but uh, it was kind of a drag if I didn't come in because the work that I was supposed to be doing fell on somebody else. So, you know, people don't take to that too nicely either. And that was one reason why the first approach that I made to AA was because people kept insisting that I needed help. They said, Ethel, you need help. And I didn't see what the help was that I needed, but I guess, you know, I, I, they were getting on my nerves and, and I was feeling pressured. And, and then I was starting to feel that shame because I knew that there were times when I was doing stuff and I didn't know what I was doing. And I knew that there were times when I was not responsible and I knew that I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing at home, which was supposed to be helping my mother save money for my schooling. I wasn't doing that. I couldn't afford to because I was going every day when I started working, I started drinking every day. So the ultimate thing was though, that I didn't think that there was anything really that needed to happen, except maybe I needed to leave leave town. I needed a break. I needed, you know, a way out, and um, which nobody seemed to know what that would be. And of course, the other thing was I called some of my relatives out who lived in other places, and I asked them if I could come and live with them, and they told me no, <laughs> and. Uh, in a way, 
I, as I look back now, I'm glad they did because it would have been a mess. And, and I know that um, I probably would have wound up getting kicked out in some place where I really didn't know anybody. But staying, at least staying in Philadelphia, I was around people that I knew. And one time when I did um, <laughs> leave home in a hissy fit, uh, in one of my insane moments. And I went to a friend's house that I had been drinking with and uh, she let me stay there overnight, but her mother made it clear that I could not live there. <laughs> so, so I knew I had to go back home. As a matter of fact, the woman insisted on calling my mother. So, you know, that kind of snowballing kind of trouble, trouble always centered around me doing what I wanted to do and it having mainly to do with the fact that I just wanted to get out and drink and have a good time and listen to the music, hey. But anyway, I got married and um, then I got pregnant. And then I realized, oh my God, responsibility is about to fall on me and I'm not ready for any of it. I, I have no clue what to do. I, I don't, you know, I'm not ready for any of this. And so that kind of began to fall in on me and the walls begin, began to close in. And then once more, of course, since I had made an approach to AA and some of the people at Parkside that had gotten to know me and knew where I lived and they came and they said, Ethel, you need to get back to the group uh, and, and you know, you need help. And there was that word again, you need help. And so, okay, it seemed like when I did get back to the group that I could see that people did have something they must have found something because they were laughing, they were talking, they were having a good time. They weren't worried about anything. And they said, just stay away from a drink one day at a time. You know, it's as simple as that. And I didn't really understand how sick I was, but I thought, how hard could that be? But it was hard. I found out it was hard because that was the first time that I had really attempted to really not drink. And I found out it, 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 it's not easy. And it was funny because one of the things, slogans on the wall was easy does it. And I kept saying to them, you all keep talking about easy does it. This is not easy. What is the easy way? And they said, just keep coming around bring your body and your mind will follow oh that sounds logical doesn't it but actually you know i can't tell you how long it took me to begin to receive a lot of the advice and follow the advice that was given to me that I looked at those steps. Okay, I said, I can do the first step. My life is unmanageable. 
I'm powerless over alcohol. Okay, I admit that. I admit it. And 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 that's that's a big thing. But making a decision to turn my life over to the care of God is I I I, I can't I can't I'm not there. I, he he doesn't want to talk to me anyway because I rejected him because you know when I, I had a chance I was I grew up in church and I was supposed to do all that stuff I didn't do it I walked away from it. So he doesn't want to talk to me and I don't want to talk to him. I didn't want him to even look my way. <laughs> so, but they said, okay, a higher power can be the group. The group can be your higher power. And I had to admit that the group did have a power that was greater than my power because what they exerted on each other was loving caring, sharing their experience, their strength, their hope. They were doing all that stuff. And it had a, the power to help people stay sober one day at a time. And by God, you know, that, it began to dawn on me that that, they have, they have a solution here. There's, there's a solution. And, and I need to get in on it. And they told me, yeah, well, if you, you know, stop complaining, because, you know, I did have a lot of complaints, you know, because like I say, I was complaining about it wasn't easy. They talked about people, places and things. And I said, uh, I have friends. Are you telling me to turn my back on my friends? And they said, we're not telling you to do anything. We're telling you that people, places, and things can put you in danger of going back to where you were, to the misery that you said you wanted to get away from. So, okay. All right. But I don't know any people that don't drink. I didn't know any people. I made it my business not to know people who didn't drink. I didn't want to be around people who didn't drink. I had a horrible opinion of people who did not drink. But they said to me, well, then be by yourself. But we'll be with you if you come to the meetings. If you stay sober one day at a time, you'll be with us and we'll be with you. And there is the we. There is the we that I could become a part of. But I hadn't yet discovered that common solution. I hadn't discovered it because I was miserable. I was still miserable. I was not happy. I was afraid of my responsibilities. My baby was, first baby was born. And then I was taking care of the baby. And, and then I had this husband and I was, and then I was working and, you know, it, it just seemed like it was a lot. And, you know, I'm supposed to stay sober. I used to drink to get away from all of the pressure of life, but no, uh, Okay, I broke it down. They said, break it down. Try 15 minutes at a time. Try a half hour at a time. And then you'll find out if you've made a whole day. And if you make a whole day, you will have done it perfectly. 
That's the one thing you can do perfectly is stay sober for one day. So, okay. I came to this AA program and began to learn about the notion of spiritual progress. They talked about clearing up. And I kept asking them, how long does that take? When will I, am I clear now? Will I be clear soon? Uh, uh, usually, how, how, what's the average time it takes a person to clear up? And they said, Ethel, there is no average time. You have to just keep coming around. You'll know when you start to clear up. You will become clearer and clearer as time goes on. And you'll find the clarity to understand some of the things that you need to understand so that you can live one day at a time. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. Um, I just have to stay sober. But then they told me, here are the tools. The tools are in those steps. So you got to look at them and you got to take them seriously. Well, you know, I was willing to do a whole lot of other things. They they told me to, you know, wash the ashtrays and, and wash the coffee cups. And, you know, back then, we didn't have paper cups. We didn't have paper anything. Everything was you wash it out and clean, wipe it and put it away <laughs> and, and then bring it out for the next meeting. They didn't allow me to make coffee because I never made coffee in an urn and I knew I would mess that up. They told me, wipe off the counter. And I did. I was neurotic about that. I didn't like anybody to drop cigarette ashes on the counter. So I said, I can do that perfectly. You know, and then I realized and somebody said to me, Ethel, you you see how you're kind of neurotic, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, Me? Neurotic? Me? <laughs> but you know, you begin to understand that I didn't know myself. I didn't know who I was. I really did not. I did not a bit more know who Ethel was. And I felt, began to feel sorry because now I'm pregnant again. I got another baby coming along. The first three years I was in AA, I had three babies. I had a baby every year. And, you know, of course, um, the, the, I went out a couple of times with, uh, with the group and we spoke at other, at other meetings. And the people at the other meetings would say, is this the same baby or are you pregnant again? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm sober. <laughs> so, you know, but it was funny. It got to be funny, really. But I was so glad as after my kids started coming along, those I had three girls. Thank God they were healthy. And the amazing thing is, let me tell you the miracle. I was not really that as healthy as I thought I was. I thought I was healthy, but alcoholism and not eating, you know, when you drink and you don't eat, it takes a toll on your body. It does something to you. I didn't know what it had done to me, but after my kids were born, I began to find out that there were things that were going wrong. And the group, the group, my higher power, the group, 
they helped me because they told me, Ethel, go to a doctor who knows something about alcoholism. We can suggest a doctor that you can go to. And I went. And sure enough, I found out that I had some residual issues from my drinking. But thank God, my children were healthy, were born healthy. You know, a, a loving God, as we understand him, I'm telling you, that was a mercy miracle or a miracle of mercy. But that those girls grew up and began to know AA because AA then was more interactive. You know, we went over each other's houses. We socialized together. We partied together. We went out together. We went to meetings, we went to the prisons, we went to the hospitals. We went just about, every, this was the non-drinking group that I had been told I needed to hang out with. And I was just, began. I began to understand, this is a whole nother life. This is a life that I didn't know anything about. That we can laugh, we can have fun. We can enjoy living and we can learn how to live and let live because it's not as though we agreed with each other all the time. We had business meetings where we really would get into our differences, but then we had the traditions and the traditions showed us how to be a group and to keep that higher power operating in all of our affairs. And so the group as a higher power operated and worked and kept the group together and kept the group solid and functioning just like the steps began to keep me alive and functioning. And I began to be a real mother, a real wife, a real person in the community, somebody who had a little more substance than just where can I get another drink? And, you know, it began to dawn on me that this solution that we have discovered, now I'm a part of the we, that tremendous fact that we have discovered, I'm part of that we, I discovered it too. And so I know that now as part of all of the totality of this program, the steps, the traditions, service, being what we are to be to each other and to the world at large is a part of what we learn because we have a common solution to what was keeping us from being who we were. I began to understand, you know, I came in for a long time. I did not want to look in the mirror. I really, I learned how to put on lipstick and what little makeup I did put on, comb my hair and go on to work 
without looking at myself because I did not like that girl in that mirror. I did not like that woman. And I, as, as a matter of fact, it, it was really a long time. And I finally confided, uh, I guess after taking my inventory and making stabs at the fifth step, I confessed to somebody that I had a lot of guilt and I, I couldn't forgive myself for some of the things that I had done. And they said, there's a, there's a solution to that. You know, it's in those steps. But I was scared to go that route. I, I really didn't want to have to make amends to anybody. I mean, do I, I really didn't want to have to do that. I was afraid to do that. I was afraid that people were going to look at me and say, you drunk, are you kidding me? Get out of my face. I did not want to hear that. And I knew that there were people around because I'm still in the same community. And that was the other thing I kept saying to the group. It's hard for me to, to live and to go back to where I, I was, I mean, I, I, I got to go back to the church that I was in and I got to go back to the job where I was. And, and you know, I did things to people and I, and I really don't want to face them. But, you know, I realized making amends would help me, would help me. I didn't know if it would help them. I hoped that it would, but I did make, I did begin to do that. I did do that. I did find that that did help my guilt. And they told me, Ethel, you have to forgive yourself. Start with forgiving yourself. You cannot continue to hold yourself to that same whipping post because you had a disease. The disease of alcoholism is physical, mental, spiritual. It attacks us in all our whole being. It, it gets to the, it shakes us to the very root of who we are. And so you can't just keep walking around with that guilt and shame on your back and expect to live. But I, I had a hard time starting to look people in the face, starting to really, you know, hold my head up. I, that was a big thing to me. My grandmother had told me, you are gonna make it hard for us to live and to hold our heads up. And I thought if they can't hold their heads up and they haven't done anything wrong, how am I gonna hold my head up? But I found that that tool, those, that six and seven step, it made a way out for me. That common solution, it worked. It worked. I went to my pastor because I had gotten up in his face a couple of times and I had sat up on the front row drunk. <laughs> and he had, I remember one time he said, it was New Year's Eve. And of course, we had gone to a party and I went to church. 
And I said, I'm in church. New Year's Eve, that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and he said, would you please move to the back row? <laughs> because the odor, the fumes from the alcohol were getting to him. And he said, I, I need I need you to move back. Just move back. <laughs> he said, you don't have to leave. Just move back. <laughs> you know, I tell you, those were the things that that made me, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you don't think that's a big deal, but it was a big deal to me because I was so ashamed to have to go back to him and to say, for the things I said to you, the things I did, the things that I knew better than, even when I was doing them, a lot of them I did on purpose. Even I, I knew, you know, I can't claim that I was in some kind of a fog or I was too drunk to know. I knew. But, you know, when you get that alcohol buzz and it's just enough so you don't care, then you do it. And I told him, and he said, Ethel, I forgive you because I understand and I love you. And that was a big load off my chest because I felt if I had his forgiveness, that even if nobody else in the church forgave me, I didn't care because he had been like a father to me. He had tried to steer me along the way. And I, I rejected him just like I rejected everything else that was good for me. But AA showed me the way back. That common solution was to go back and to face those things and those people and to begin to understand that I could, as a matter of fact, I have to say that I am, I was so, so happy that there were people in our group who came to church with me, who, who joined our church. You know, it's not that we try to proselytize or anything, but it just was the way it was. Back then, we went everywhere. We had retreats at a Catholic uh, convent. The women had their retreats at a Catholic convent uh, every year. And in those retreats, not uh, alcoholic nuns, alcoholic priests led the meetings and told and shared their experience, strength, and hope. And during that time, we would have prayer, we would have chapel, but we also had AA meetings. And those were wonderful weekends. As a matter of fact, I wanted to be a Catholic. I said, wow, this is great. I love this. You know, it, it was just, I under began to see that there were alcoholics everywhere. <laughs> I, I had never even considered that before that this is a physical, mental, and spiritual disease. It's no respecter of person. And that is why this is such a tremendous fact that we have discovered because this common solution 
has no opinion on outside issues, doesn't take into consideration who you are, how important you are, how educated you are, or how educated you are not. That does not matter. This common solution is a con means that it's for everybody who says, I am an alcoholic and I need help. And I'm coming to this program because I want to live. Well, you don't, you know, I can't even say that fully because when I came, I can't say that I really wanted to live because I wasn't sure, I was not sure. I knew that a new life could, you know, possibly be a in the in the offing for me. But you know, I, I kept feeling if it doesn't work out, if it doesn't work out, I, I don't want to be here. So I, I could not say that those first few years, even that I was in AA, that I could say, oh, I want to live. That was not that was not a big thing with me. Uh, it was a it took me a long time to get the desire to live. And even now, my perspective on that is still a little different. But I think that what I understand is that while I live, I can learn how to let you live. And so we are living within the parameters of this wonderful common solution that we have all found. We can all say, I am sober because, because I have a program, because I know that these steps will lead me ultimately to where I need to be, I can say that I am really absolutely, uh, you know, it, it's um, on the flyer that that uh, MMT put out, uh, that harmonious action, that's what that is. That the, the, the harmonious action is the common solution in being implemented by all of us. All of us each day as we come together or don't come together, whatever we do, as long as we are living and we are staying sober and we are un beginning to understand that we need more than just ourselves and our little wants and wishes and selfish desires, but there is something greater, then that is the harmonious action that begins to take place that makes it possible for this program to be worldwide. My goodness, if there it were not for harmonious action, just think there could not be this widespread program across all these barriers across all these boundaries of countries and people and myself and yourself and whoever we think we are. But 
this harmonious action makes it possible for others to come and find a common solution, to become part of the we, to become part of the we who discover this common solution. It is so, you know, it, 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 it is just, it makes me really overjoyed when I, I look, come to a meeting and, and I look and, you know, of course, I loved going to, to my meetings at Parkside because we used to have a lot of fun and we used to do a lot of laughing. And uh, Celeste, though, sometimes she used to laugh so loud, they used to tell her, be quiet. <laughs> but but we, we understood, we understood that the laughter was good because we had spent so many years crying, crying. I was crying one time. I was sitting, I was, I had gotten drunk. I, I was on an Easter Sunday and I was sitting on somebody's porch and I had gotten drunk and I was sitting there crying. I was so unhappy. Oh, I was just crying. And somebody came out on the porch and they said, what is wrong with her? And some, I heard somebody else say, oh, she's drunk. There's nothing wrong with her. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't think that that was why I was crying. I, I didn't think I was crying because I was drunk. I thought I was crying because there were so many things that were making me unhappy. <laughs> and, and they said I was a drunk. <laughs> you know, it, it really begins to, to make you understand. When I cry now, it's because I really have something to cry about. <laughs> it's not because I'm drunk but it's because there are things in life. And you know what? This has not been an easy life. As, as much as I complained in the beginning about them saying easy does it, and I kept saying, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Well, it, it, it's, it, it is depending on how you live it. It's depending on, on the, the, the life that you're, putting into what you're doing. And if the action is really harmonious, you're not by yourself. So it doesn't have to be hard on you because if you spread out any action, you know, the laws of science will tell you when you spread out the action, it, it, it diminishes the force. So one person doesn't feel the whole pressure, but you spread that pressure out. And and um, they used to tell me, you know, and anyway, you can turn it over. You made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understood him, turn it over to him and let him handle it. I didn't think that that was that easy, but I learned, I learned, I truly learned. And I'll tell you, he can handle it. And he does handle it if you let him. But for each one of us, for each one of us, it is a choice that we make. Because we can choose to be part of this harmonious action, or we can choose not to be part of this harmonious action. We can say, I don't want to be in harmony with those people. We can say that. 
but it is to our detriment. And it, like they told me, your misery is cheerfully refunded, but it, understand that it is misery that is refunded. It is not joy. It's not peace. It's not any of those things, but it is, it is the misery that you had when you were out there. So I am just overjoyed. I, I haven't gotten to the five minute point yet, Gil. <laughs> almost, yeah, yeah, almost there. So you've okay. actually got seven, right. but as long as you like, as long as you like. Okay. Five-ish, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I just wanted to say that um, the, the, the love and the caring and the sharing that we do, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, when I came in, I thought a lot of that, I said, oh, that corny stuff. I mean, it's just so corny. Oh my God, I can't take it. But you know what? It's real. It's real. Sharing is real. It means something. It does something. It's an action word. And when you share, that's what makes you part of the harmony. That's what makes you part of the action. That's what makes you utilize whatever it is that you are getting out of this program or whatever it is you're getting out of staying sober one day at a time. That for this day, for this day, I have something to share. And the, what I'm sharing, if I don't share anything else, I just want to share my joy with you and thank you for sharing yours with me. Thank you. <laughs> Just waiting for recording.